Welcome to a food podcast. Your turn. That's right. Welcome to the Fruits Podcast. Welcome in, everybody, to the Fruits Podcast. Almost forgot the name of the podcast there for a minute. Uh, today, like the title says, we will be going over something new. We're doing something new with the podcast. Uh, we're going to start going through the Bible verse by verse. And I thought there's no better place to start than the first book with the first verse of the Bible. So with that, let's go into Genesis. We're going to give a little overview, a little recap of what the book is, uh, authorship, background themes, just things like that. So that way we can already have that knowledge in our heads while we are reading through Genesis. We know the backgrounds and who wrote it, uh, just things that will help us to... Uh, what's that called, to dissect a verse, to get a proper hermeneutics on things. So with that, we'll start with the Genesis overview. This English title comes from the Greek translation, translation meaning origins. The Hebrew title is derived from the Bible's first words in the beginning. This word is Bereshit. This, these first few books are also known as the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, and the Law. The first five books of the Bible are a collective. They're written at once. Uh, not all at once, but you get the saying in the same time period. Uh, and forgive me on my Hebrew and Greek uh, pronunciations. I am not a Hebrew scholar, so I may get the words a little jumbled up. Now we'll move on to authorship and date. So... The author does not identify himself in the book of Genesis, but we know by other passages in the Bible that this work is accredited to Moses. Like in Mark 7.10, it says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. This, of course, is Jesus hearkening back to verses such as Exodus 20.12, uh, Exodus 21.17, Deuteronomy 5.16, Leviticus 29. So these are all references that uh, Jesus could have been making back to Moses. He attributes Moses as the author of the Pentateuch. Genesis was written after the Exodus, around CA 1445 BC, but before Moses' death, CA 1405 BC. Now some cases have been made that at least some of the Pentateuch isn't written by Moses, such as, but not limited to, Deuteronomy 34, which is the death of Moses. Uh, and that logically being that Moses couldn't have written about how he died and what happened after his death, because he would have been dead. But Moses' fitting background makes him a good author for the early history of creation. Acts 7.22 says as much. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was powerful in his speech and actions. We'll get into a little bit of a background, not much to go over on the background. The initial setting, of course, is eternity past, uh, but we quickly get to the historical background for the early events of the Earth's history, which is set in Mesopotamia. We have in chapters 1 through 11 uh, is Mesopotamia, then the Promised Land in chapters 12 through 36, and lastly, Egypt, chapters 37 through 50. There are a couple themes in this book that we need to look at. Uh, the first type of theme is historical. 
uh, in Genesis 1, chapter 1 through chapter 11 is the primeval history, the origins of the universe, i.e. the beginning of time, space, and matter, and other human experiences such as marriage, family, the fall, sin, redemption, judgment, and nations. So that's all in Genesis chapters 1 through chapter 11. Then in Genesis chapter 12 through 50 is the patriarchal history. How the Israelite family came to exist and also their instruction, uh, sorry, institutions, customs, languages, and different cultures. God needed to reveal their enemies' background and the basis of war they were about to declare to take the promised land in light of the immorality of killing another image bearer. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11, it focuses on the larger people of all the earth. Then it narrows its view down to one family and nation, that being Israel, found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Uh, the outline of Genesis here, this is the last of our overview here. Uh, there are two sections. Of course, we went over it, primitive history. So Genesis chapters 1 through 11 records four major events happening. Those being number one, creation, number two, the fall, number three, the flood, and number four, the dispersion. The, section, the second is patriarchal history, found in Genesis 12, chapter 12 through chapter 50. This spotlights four great men, number one being Abraham, two being Isaac, three being Jacob, and number four being Joseph. So we just had a little five-minute uh, overview of Genesis and the Pentateuch. Uh, when we get to a new book of the Bible, we'll do a new overview. I don't know if we're going to do Exodus right after Genesis, or maybe we'll have some people vote and then see if we're going to do another book of the Bible. But Genesis will take us quite a bit. There's 50 chapters, and today we're just going over chapter 1, verse 1. So, And we'll see how far we can get in verse 1. There's a lot here. So we'll start by reading the verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everyone knows this verse. So you shouldn't be learning anything new, right? But hopefully I can teach you something new here. So in chapter 1, verse 1, section A is in the beginning. This is the part that we'll be going over first. God has existed eternally. We find this in Psalms 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to, to eternity, you are God. This phrase from the first verse of the Bible marks the beginning of time and space. He, being God, created out of nothing, which is ex nihilo. This passage has always been understood as being recent in history. By, by the Jews and by early church scholars. This message was proclaimed to the Israelites on the plains of Moab sometime before entering the Promised Land. Moses read this out uh, to the Israelites before entering the Promised Land, but it was understood the creation of the world to be only thousands of years old to the people of God. It was also understood to be special, meaning six 24-hour periods called days, which is further proven by the accompanying phrase, the evening and the morning. Scripture does not support a creation date earlier than 10,000 years. I have heard some people say around 20,000 is as far as they're going, so six to 20,000. I find that fine. 
Uh, but just what we're going off of, 10,000 years is kind of sort of the limit. You can add in a little bit more there just to be safe. Uh, I would be amiss if I did not discuss the other theories about the days. But I'll just touch on them. Uh, I'll touch on some of them in brief after I make a statement about how we read the Bible. First of all, let me make this clear. Creation was a theological issue for centuries, not a scientific issue. Science is based on observation and testing. It's one of the easiest definitions of what science is. You observe and you test. And you cannot observe what was before time or be able to test what happened in the beginning, which is why God is the one who can tell us what happened in the beginning, since he was the only one there to observe it. But this debate about millions of years started uh, all when a man named Darwin came along. He had the idea of millions of years, and it has infested the church since then. One of the rules of hermeneutics is to interpret the scripture literally, unless, unless you have a good reason to believe it is figurative. Also, we do not interpret scripture to find hidden truths, but read the text plain, plain meaning and historical context first. Whenever you have someone that says that, oh, I found this super secret thing in the Bible, no one's ever known about it, you know, it's, it's a hidden secret, uh, it's probably not uh, a real hidden secret. It's probably bad hermeneutics. And usually you can go through and talk to that person and it eventually comes out that it is a bad hermeneutic that they've adopted. But yet, I will discuss some of the beliefs expressed by some people uh, about the days and about creation. But if you want more information on this debate of literal seven days or millions of years, uh, I would suggest the book Seven Days That Divide the World by John C. Lennox, who is on the side of non-literal six days of creation. Uh, I've listened to this book. It's a great book uh, for someone just getting into this. He does go over a lot of different things, a lot of different theories. I won't be covering all of them today. Uh, you can go listen to the book if you want. I suggest it on Audible. It's where I listen to it. Uh, but if you want the other side, uh, the literal 24-hour days, then I would suggest going to AnswersInGenesis.org. Uh, this is a site that I use. I listen to their YouTube channel. I don't have any books by uh, anyone there, but I am looking. So if you have any suggestions on books, especially on Audible, from the uh, people that work at Answers in Genesis, please let me know. Uh, but one of the theories of uh, the the first chapter of Genesis and second chapter, you can add in, maybe third, uh, is that each day could be millions of years. Now, what what does this do? What mindset does this put you into if you say, well, it could be a million years? Well, one, it would allow for evolution. So you'd be allowing for a macro evolution where different species can change to another species, speciation. So that would be like... Uh, we say, uh, a lot of people say kinds, so like a dog kind to a cat kind. We've never found such evolution, but Christians do believe in microevolution, like Darwin's finches, where their beaks can change shape. That's something we have to believe in. Uh, 
because it's provable and we've observed it happening over time. Uh, and this type of theory also conforms to science. It doesn't just confirm science and say, well, yeah, the scientists got it right and the Bible got it right. It, it more puts you into a mindset of conforming to science as science is the ultimate standard first and then the Bible has to line up with it where we should be taking, well, the Bible's a literal authority. Science should match up with it, uh, but scientists will not always match up with it. There's a difference between science, what the science says, and what scientists say. Let's not forget that. Uh, even if there's a 98% vote from uh, a room full of scientists that, let's say, if you brush your teeth, they will never fall out. But 2% of those scientists say you can never brush your teeth and your teeth will never fall out. We, well, that we might be able to actually observe and test. But you get what I'm saying. If there's a divergence, we have to more so choose a side. And usually us as Christians would choose the side of the Bible because that is our ultimate authority. Another episode I may do in the future, who's our ultimate authority or what is our ultimate authority. But that's, that's for later. So now... I want to tell everyone I did used to believe these type of things, the millions of years type of theory. Uh, but it was why, but it is why I suggest every Christian learn a little bit about hermeneutics and church history. Now, if we allow science to interpret the Bible, the Bible, like I said, science being the ultimate authority, and we don't allow the rest of the Bible to interpret the Bible, then we, or, you know, using proper hermeneutics, which aligns with the rest of the Bible, how we would interpret, then we might let it also interpret the virgin birth. If science interprets the virgin birth, it's, you know, up to science. Let's see what science says. Is it possible? Or the resurrection. Science would say that is not possible. Or even human sexuality. We see it in our day where a lot of so-called scientists say that, you know, if you are born of biological boy, you can be a, a female. You know, it, it makes no sense. So we don't go by the science. That's not our ultimate authority. The Bible should be our ultimate authority. Uh, here are some examples of how people interpret the first chapter and second chapter of Genesis. Uh, like I said, I'll only be on, going over a couple, but it was something that I was involved in. So if you have any questions and want to know more about these theories, feel free to ask me and I can talk days about this because I've listened and read so much stuff about it. But uh, one of these is the word day, D-A-Y. It has a different meaning in a couple different verses. So verse 5, where the amount of time from the Spirit hovering on the waters uh, to the light and the dark being separated could be an unknown amount of time. So we have a question there. We don't get, and there was day and night the first day. It's the Spirit was hovering over the water, which we'll go over next week. And then the light and dark being separated. Uh, we don't get a timetable. It's not provided in Genesis there. Or another one is in verse 17, is when God made the sun and moon. And for everyone who you know knows anything about the earth, that's how we tell the passage of time. So the first three days of creation could be an unknown amount of time right there. Because if you don't have the sun and moon, you can't tell time. So on, so on. So it's unknown amount of time. It could have been millions or billions of years. We don't know. That's that's the hermeneutic there. Uh, 
Or we also notice that the seventh day is when God rested, and it never says there was evening and morning. So that seventh day technically is still going on to this day. Or in Genesis 2, 4, uh, it is not referring to a 24-hour day. It says, in the day that the Lord created. So it's just like as if I would say, uh, back in the day I did this. It's, it's not referring to a 24-hour day. It's saying back then, basically. So it's the word day there is used in a different context, is what the people would argue. But I will leave the listeners of this podcast to do a deeper dive into these type of what I call theories. Now, we also see in these first three words that it correlates to John 1.1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this verse also gives us a perspective, another perspective of what was happening in the time before there was time. Jesus was there. He and the Father were creating together the whole trinity of God were in agreement on this whole plan of creating the heavens and the earth. They had a plan from eternity past to create us. And to think of this on a more personal level, he already had you in mind and he saved you, the elect, before Genesis 1-1, before the Bible even starts. He already determined his elect there, as we see in Ephesians 1-4. For he, being God, chose us in him, before the foundations of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. This shows the act of love that went into this very first verse of the Bible. If we can see verses from the New Testament hearkening back to the Old, it gives us insight and helps us in reading this literature that was written so long ago. I know some people that, you know, they don't, I wouldn't say they don't like reading the Old Testament, but it, it gets boring because you don't see how it relates to the New Testament. And you want to, let's say, I've heard someone say, I just want to get back to Jesus, which I fully understand that. But we see in the Old Testament, we learn things about Jesus that maybe at a cursory glance we wouldn't have known. Now, we'll get to what I call Genesis 1-1-B right here, which is, so we had in the beginning, then it said God. That's my B. I know it's one word. You would think the whole rest of the verse would be section B, but in my notes, this is section B, just the word God. Now, this word God is in Hebrew, Elohim. I'm pretty confident on that one. Uh, the pronunciation, I will say. I, I know what the word is. I've written it down. But this is a general term for deity, and it's also a true name, uh, and it's also a true name of God. It means God of gods. So this is why Elohim here is put in plural. I know us as Christians like to look at it and say, well, look, there's a trinity right off the bat. Uh, it's in plural, so it means that there was more than one God person. Uh, so we say, yeah, that was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But this Hebrew word just means God, God of gods. It means he is the only God. He's the God of all the wooden idols that you have. So maybe we shouldn't argue out of that verse to prove the Trinity. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the best way to argue it there. But some scholars may disagree with me. Uh, Jesus used a form of this word when he was on the cross. He said, 
forgive me. Eli Lai Lama Shabaktani. Uh, sorry if I butchered that. I am not a Greek scholar, like I said. So the root word there is L, E-L. It is borrowed from the Canaanites. And it can refer to pagan gods, angels, men, and also judges. Now, here we see that Moses makes no attempt to defend the existence of God. Instead, he states a fact to everyone reading or listening to this book. The statement is to be believed by faith. But there are, explained elsewhere in Genesis and in the Bible as a whole, who God is and his existence. But, you know, he's reading this book to the Israelites on the plains of Moab here, waiting to go in the promised land, and he doesn't defend the existence of God. He says, this is God. This is the one that brought you out of Egypt. Like I said, later on, his existence is defended. But right here, the first verse, the first words coming out of Moses' mouth are to be believed by faith that this God is the God. Uh, and like I said, Genesis was read to the Israelites sometime after coming out of Egypt. So we don't know the exact time. And these first few words give answers to the people coming out of Egypt. Uh, it gives answers of who the true God is. He isn't created. He didn't have to fight other gods for his power. Instead, it goes the opposite way of the gods of the Egyptians. The Israelites grew up with the Egyptians, and they knew a lot about their gods. Instead of getting, giving any credence to those gods... Uh, it, it goes straight to who the true God is. A lot of the Egyptian gods just appear out of the universe like the universe was there and the gods appeared or they came out of some material that was already there. But here it's revealed that the true God is the one who is revealed to have made the universe and everything in it and also is said to have always existed. Instead of fighting other gods to determine who is to be in control, the God of Israel says, I am the only God, and no one was before me. Or better said, nothing was before me. Now here we are in verse 1, chapter 1, section 3. So we had in the beginning, that's, that's section 1, God, section 2, and now section 3, created. I know, am I going just word by word here? Hold with me. We had the three words at the beginning, so we can do one word at a time right here. So this word uh, created is what we're going to be going over. So this is used here uh, to show God's creative activity. Uh, although it occasionally is used elsewhere uh, of matter which had already existed, uh, we see this, the matter already being existed in Isaiah 15. 69 or sorry 65 verse 18 says then be glad and rejoice forever in what i am creating for i will create jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight so you see here that this word uh, is also used for creating a nation jerusalem uh, which is matter that has already existed the people already existed and he's forming them together to become jerusalem uh, to create the city uh, context demands in no uncertain terms that this was a creation without pre-existing material. 
And other scripture backs this up, uh, rightly understood, such as Isaiah 40, verse 28, says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. There is other times that God created, but let's look at this word created to really understand its meaning. This word is bara. It means to shape or create. We also have to dispel the myth. Uh, some people, if you study this first verse here, uh, you'll come into this this myth. And like I said, Answers in Genesis is very good about this. Uh, you can look it up on there, but it uh, the word asha is to make, and it is used uh, in place of bara. So there's multiple words in the Hebrew language that mean this to create, and asha is one of them that people use. Uh, but both words are used interchangeably, so there is no room for us to say that they are different actions. Uh, number one, we see being made uh, ex nihilo, bara. And number two, being made a process, asha, uh, just, just one of these uses uh, that we see that are interchangeable is found in Genesis 1.27, which is bara. So it says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And then also in Genesis 5.1 is asha. It says, these are the family records of the descendants of Adam. On that day, God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. So we see that created is used both in Genesis 5.1 and Genesis 1.27. They're talking about the same exact thing, Adam being created. And one of them is bara, and one of them is asha. Uh, people will argue that asha is a process. That's why I gave that brief definition uh, being made a process, asha, uh, that man was created over time. But bara means made out of nothing. It means that it was spoken into existence, which is why we as Christians believe that God is the only one who can bara. He's the only one that can create like that. Uh, these are both, like I said, the same meaning, and they are also different words. So let's when we're using our hermeneutics, not get that confused. Go a little bit deeper in here. So, tu bara is used 45 times in the Old Testament. Uh, here's a couple different ways it's used. Number one, uh, God's creating out of nothing in Genesis. Or referencing, you know, whenever it's used, it's referencing back to the six days of creation here. Or what he has made. Number two, a making of a new covenant with Abraham found in Exodus 34.10. I'm not going to read these. Uh, you can feel free to read them. I'll have them down in the description. Uh, number three is the judgment of Korah by Moses. God caused the ground to open up. Uh, you can find that. I don't have the reference written down here. Uh, number four is these men were going to clear trees. It's found in Joshua 17.15 and Joshua 17.18. Number five. Angel, it's talking about the angels being created. It's found in Psalms 148.5, some poetic literature here. Uh, number six is God making a new heart in us. 
that's found in Psalms 51.10. Number seven, uh, God making the covenant of marriage, Jeremiah 31.22. Number eight, uh, talking about the last days and the creating of the new heavens and the earth, new earth is in Isaiah 65.17. And number nine, we also see that that name, Bara, is also a name of God, a creator. It'll be capitalized in your Bible. Uh, but we, we find that in later scriptures that uh, we will go over. But I think we also read that scripture. Yes, in Isaiah 40, 28, uh, the creator of the whole earth. It uses his name, creator. And lastly... We will be going over what I would call, we're in ABCD, so section D of Genesis 1-1 is, in the beginning, A, God, B, created C, the heavens and the earth. That is D. The last statement in the verse, uh, this one's not super long, but we'll read it. So this statement encompasses everything made in the following six days. Uh, we see the full power of our God at this moment. At the start of history, he did more than we could ever imagine. Uh, what we can only assume was done in a moment, in a flash. This is what some people would call the Big Bang. But as we have seen, it is so much more than that. A little bit about the Big Bang here and why it doesn't really fit. Uh, the Big Bang has a starting point, but it also must have pre-existing matter to happen. And you can look up different types of Big Bang theories. But if there was nothing, so no matter, the nothing could have never done anything, or could have never done nothing. Uh, a little quote, it says, From nothing, nothing comes. I, it's an old Greek philosopher, I believe, that says that. But uh, the logic behind this is obvious, but for us not to be duped, I will explain the expedited version of this argument. Uh, nothing has no creative power, and it also has no inclination. It cannot choose to do anything, so it will never choose to create. But the Christian worldview tells us that someone has always existed. And he created even the matter which only he can create. If there was no one to create from ex nihilo, from nothing, then nothing would never make anything. And if the Big Bang, there is another theory about the Big Bang, that it was so the universe was so small that it just started expanding and expanding, it's still expanding to this day, uh, that... It would have been, you know, small enough to fit on the point of a pin at a point, and that's how we got everything. Uh, but that would just make the universe our God and say that the universe created itself. So it's kind of self-refuting and circular to say that. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but we'll go on. I digress here. The heavens is, it's very interesting to me, because the word heavens is plural, so it's not just talking about the heaven of the spiritual realm that we as English speakers of the 21st century may think. I think we're in the 21st century. 
didn't fact check that, so sorry about that. Uh, but we must not overlook how we see words, uh, because it'll help us into exegeting a passage of Scripture, scripture rightly. Uh, the heavens here is Hebrew. It is Shamayim. I should have had Google pronounce that for me before the podcast, but Shamayim is how I will say it. Uh, and it is used in Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 2.1, the word meaning heights or elevation. But uh, the word heavens is also translated differently in other parts of the Bible. Sometimes a different word is used or the context changes the meaning of the word, whether it be spiritual or metamorphical. I hope that's a word. Uh, the heavens and the earth is used to indicate the whole universe. We see in Genesis 1.1, Jeremiah 23.24, Acts 17.24, and so on. Uh, according to the Jewish notion, there were three heavens, hence why it's in the plural form. Number one, the firmament, as in the fowls of the air, where the, where the birds would fly. We find this in Genesis 7.3. It says, in seven pairs, male and females, of the birds of the sky. And that verse continues on, uh, but we see there the birds of the sky is also the heavens. Uh, number two, the second heaven, is the starry heavens. In Deuteronomy 17.3, we find it. It says, and has, oh, sorry, this is a run-on sentence, and has gone to worship other gods by bowing down to the sun, moon, and all the stars in the sky which I have forbidden. God talking there. Uh, the third heaven here, the third, is the heavens of heavens, or also the third heaven. We find this in Deuteronomy 10.14. It says, The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. We also see this when we read Paul's writings. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12.2, it says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. The verse continues on. Paul talking about himself going to heaven. Uh, it's a great read. I love 2 Corinthians 12. It's, it's very good. Very good hermeneutical practices you can use there. But, uh, of course, this is a Greek word, so not the same as the Hebrew, but referring to the same thing. It means paradise. So this is the same thing that Jesus was talking about to the man on the cross in Luke 23:43. He said, and he said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise or in the third heavens. Heaven, sorry, heaven, not heavens. Uh, so from the first verse of the Bible, we see that there is so much more for us to digest than we could have ever seen by a cursory glance at this passage. We also learn that the Old Testament talks about our God, and with the insight of the New Testament, we get a different perspective. We also see that Jesus was there, and we also will recognize why we as Christians don't unhitch from the Old Testament, because we can still learn from it. Not only about the history of the earth, and our human race, but also about the attributes and nature of our God. I added in there 
the unhitching from the Old Testament, because some people have suggested that us as Christians unhitch from the Old Testament, that it is basically useless. I'm not one of those. Uh, I believe the Old Testament is still inspired scripture and can teach us a lot of different things. I just believe that we have to be able to look at the Old Testament and realize that not everything is referring to us. Uh, what is it? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord's plan to prosper. You know, you, you would know the verse. I don't have it all the way memorized. But it's basically saying the Lord has these things planned for you and they're good things. Well, if you go look down in verse 17, it also says that some of his plans for you are the sword. So to kill you. Uh, so we can't really apply this Jeremiah 29, 11 without applying Jeremiah 29, 17. Because the Bible, even though I'm doing this verse by verse, uh, the Bible was not written in verses. It was written as a one book uh, that doesn't have any chapter breaks or any verses. There wasn't such a thing back then. So when we read things, we can't just read a little snippet and apply it to ourselves. We have to get the context of what was happening, which is why we went over the overview in Genesis. And we also have to, you know, go through the verses and see what they really say. Because like I said, you know, I've read this verse probably close to three, four hundred, five hundred times in my life. And I've never, you know, some of these things never clicked with me, uh, especially about why why the word God was plural. You know, I've heard Christians say it's because of the Trinity, and as we've realized, it's because the word means God of gods, not because the Trinity. I'm not saying I don't believe in the Trinity, I do, but I'm just saying that that verse is not referring back to the Trinity. But I hope you guys enjoyed this new style. Uh, some episodes may be longer, some shorter. It just kind of depends. And I might do multiple verses in an episode. Uh, it's really how much I can dig out of it. And even me, like this one verse, I didn't really go over every single thing. Like I said, I only went over, you know, in the beginning was my longest section. But I could have made that a lot longer by actually going into theories about uh, what people believe about the six days of creation. I could have went in a lot more about God's name, Elohim, there. You know, I could, have, I could have dug a little bit more on everything, but I really just wanted to see the response from the people to see if you guys like this type of thing. I think it fits my personality a little bit better. I know I'm not the most enthusiastic person when speaking, so I hope you guys enjoy this more uh, teaching, lecture type of uh podcast. Uh, and if you guys want to let me know if you do or don't like it, if you agree with something, disagree with something, want to argue a point, want to be on the podcast to, you know, argue a point from this episode, uh, then you can email me. I am at the fruits pod. Oh, sorry. The fruits pod at yahoo.com. My bad. Or you can also DM me on Twitter, which is at the fruits pod. Uh, feel free to message me on either one. I check them usually about every week just to see. So if you guys have anything, if you enjoyed it, didn't enjoy it, let me know. But I will see you guys next week and we will be going over Genesis chapter 1 
verse 2, maybe verse 3 and 4. We'll just have to see how far I get and how much I pull out of those scriptures. But we'll pray at the end here. I forgot to pray at the beginning. So we'll pray at the end here and then we'll end it. Lord, thank you for allowing us to read your word and uh, allowing us to have a picture back in time of what was happening and you know just allowing us to see your creative work and how you made us and how you made the universe and for us to understand more about your word lord i pray that this study going through genesis would uh, be encouragement to the people listening whether they be christians or non-christians i pray that we would see the gospel explained throughout these uh, chapters and verses that we would always be able to point back to you uh, in everything that we learn, Lord. Thank you for giving me this platform to speak to people, and I pray that it would just be a blessing to them and that you would receive all the glory. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, guys, I will see you next week. Bye-bye.